James chapter number 2 is where we're going to be as we dive into the scriptures today and uh, see what the Lord has for us. I've had such a blessed time going through the book of James. I've enjoyed it so much. And today we're going to continue in the in James chapter number 2. So thankful for Isaac uh, taking uh, last week and stepping in and, and preaching last week. What a blessing that was. Uh, but I have been looking forward to jumping back into the book of James this week. And so uh, all week been uh, praying through and, and looking at these verses, studying them, preparing for this Sunday, looking forward to what the Lord has for us today and excited about that. It's good to have the Harrison family and the Dooley family uh, here with us, some friends uh, that, that I've gotten to uh, got to know here in Whitehall. They've got a heart to share the gospel here in our town, and so make sure that you greet them and uh, say hello to them after the service as well. James chapter number 2, look with me if you would at verse number 12. We're going to read these verses and then we'll pray together and ask for the Lord's help as we dive into the scriptures today. Look at James chapter number 2, verse number 12. The Bible says this, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we're going to dive into what these these verses have for us today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to open your word. I pray now that you would prepare each and every heart in this room, God, to receive your word. I pray, God, for those that maybe are watching online. I know there's some that weren't able to come because of different things, the weather and, and uh, just different stuff going on. And I pray, God, that you'd uh, Lord, challenge their heart as well. Prepare them now. And I pray, God, that you'd help me as I, as I speak your word, to speak it clearly. And, Lord, to be able to speak it boldly. And, Lord, may it come across, Lord, um, the way that you intended for it to come across. And, Lord, may we learn from you today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to come to church to worship you. And my heart's already been stirred. And God, now as we open your word, as we look at it, I pray, God, that we would just be challenged in a unique way today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've been going through the book of James, we came into chapter number two, and James began chapter number two with an illustration, a, a pretty visual illustration. He, he talked about uh, uh, in, in the synagogue, in the church house, how there was two people that, that came in and he said one of them was, it was a poor man that didn't have anything. It was very clear. There was one that was of great wealth that had, had riches. And, and it was very clear which was which. And as they entered in, he was challenging those first century believers because he said what's happening in these churches is he said, you're giving all the attention to this one that, that comes in clearly from means and the one that's coming in with nothing, the one that's coming in that's clearly poor and, and, and clearly from a pace, place of, of having no, nothing uh, materially, he said, you're, you're treating them as if they're a nuisance, setting them aside, having nothing to do with them. He said, it's wrong. It's wrong for many different reasons. He said, you're showing favoritism. But he said, above all things, he said, ultimately, he said, there's something more important than material wealth on this earth. He said, both of them have an ever-living, never-dying soul. And he said, because of your favoritism, because of the way you are treating them, he said, it could be that you could be condemning them to a life in eternity in a lake of fire. As he continued on, we saw two weeks ago in verses 9 through 11, as he pointed to the reality that, listen, there's a common denominator outside of material things on this earth. And that common denominator is that all of us are sinners. He said, listen, if you've sinned in one point, you're guilty of all. Everybody's guilty. Every one of us are. He levels the playing field as he says that. And then we come to our verses today, verse number 12, where it begins with the word, so. So he says, he says, so he said, based upon what I just talked to you about, based upon what I've just discussed with you, he said, so because of that, 
He said, there's something that we need to discuss. There's something that we need to talk about. James once again takes that that quill and dips it into the ink. And he pins a reminder to those first century Christians. He pins a reminder of what is to come. What is to come. Look again at verse number 12. He says this, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. The night before Tressa and I got married, the night before our wedding, me and the guys had to go and, and pick up our, our tuxes for the next day. And uh, we, were, oh, we had our, our ceremony over in Sheridan, and that's where we kind of had our, our, our rehearsal dinner and different things like that. And, and we finished up with the rehearsal dinner, and I'll never forget, my uncle said, hey, I'll, I'll drive you. You come out here from, from Indiana, he said, I'll, I'll drive you to go get it sober and cute. And so we all jumped in his car, and, and we began driving, and we decided, you know, it's, it's about the time we're starting to get a little bit dark. We decided that we were going to cut some time rather than driving all the way to Whitehall, going over the pass on the interstate. We thought we'd take the back road to Butte. Now listen, I've been that way many times. Probably most of you have as well. My uncle had never driven this road before, okay? And so if you've driven this, you understand where I'm going here, okay? And so we're, we're making our way, the back way to Butte, old highway two, and we, we make our way up it. And then we start our way back down. And I remember as we started back down, I remember Tress's brother uh, speaking up and, and saying to, to, my, to my uncle Rob, he said, you might... You might want to slow down just a little bit. <laughs> and we started down that road. And I remember we came to one of those first, you, you know you know this, I mean the S-curve where, where you're going one direction and all of a sudden you're going completely the other direction very quickly. And as we're going down that, I remember coming at and we were, we were coming at that at about 45, 50 miles an hour. And I remember that the brakes screeching, the, the, the tires, you know, coming to, I mean, as we came to that, I was slamming on the brakes, thankfully nobody was coming the other way, as he, like, almost did, like, a drift into that corner, just trying to get around that, I thought for sure we were going to die on that night, I, I didn't think I was going to make it to my wedding the next day, you know, as, as you go up that, that road, as you drive on that road, there's something very important there, if you've never driven it before, you can drive it, and you can be rather safe, Why? Because there are signs that say slow down, S curve, 15 miles per hour, you know, not 45. And listen, those, those signs, what are they pointing to? They're saying, they're saying, listen, something is just ahead that you need to pay attention to. Hey, listen, caution, watch where you're going because something is coming that if you're not paying attention, it's not going to be something that you're looking forward to. Here in, in James, James is, is saying almost that, that very thing. That very thing. I, I love how, how James kind of entwines his entire book to us. And, and, and James spends a great deal of time discussing the tongue in this book. And, and in fact, in chapter number three, we'll spend uh, a, a few messages just, just dealing with that specifically. But, but in verse number 12, he says, so speak ye. Speak, he says. So speak ye. And here he is again dealing with, 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 with speech. But, but listen, friend, what he's pointing to here is, is the truth that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Oftentimes, the tongue, the mouth is a window into the heart. And when, when James says here, so speak, his aim is not at the mouth, his aim is at the heart of the person. That's why he follows it up by saying, and so do. He says, listen, like the words that you speak, the actions that you commit. You, you've probably heard it before. Your, your, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your, your, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. 
And some of you are very confused right now. Okay, well, what, what is he talking about? Uh, listen, what he's saying is, listen, your actions speak far louder than your words. Right. And what James is dealing with here is he says, listen, if your tongue and your actions line up, it's a pretty good indication that your heart is in a certain place. He says, set your, your words and your actions, how what? Toward others, no matter their perceived wealth class, in a way that demonstrates the second greatest commandment. We heard him talk about this back in, in verse number 8. He said, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. He, he was qu- quoting directly from the lips of the Lord Jesus. When, when Jesus said it in Matthew 22, verse number 39, he says, that, listen, he gives the first great commandment. And he says, the second's like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Let your words and your actions line up. He says this is a vital commandment. But why? Why is that so important? Why, why does that first point? Why? Uh, so, so speak ye and so do. Why? why? Well, well, the answer is the second part of that verse. As they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. See, he, he says there's coming a day of judgment. Of judgment. And according to the scriptures, there's going to be two different judgments. The, the, the first judgment is, is, is known as the great white throne judgment. It doesn't fall first, but that's, that's the, the, the one of the judgments. The great white throne judgment. This is for those that have not accepted Christ as their Savior. They've, they've never been saved. This, this is found in Revelation chapter number 20. At the very end, the Bible says that, that there's a book of life that's open. And every name that's found, not found written in the book of life will spend eternity in a lake of fire. But the Bible says... Is this that there were other books that were open? Can I tell you what books they are? Some people say, Well, I wonder what books it's going to be. Is it going to be Del Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People? You know, is that what, it, is it, is, is that what it's going to be? No, 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 that's not what it's going to be. Listen, the books that are open, I tell you what they are. It's, it's right here. God wouldn't judge us by something that we don't have. He's going to judge us according to the scriptures that He, he gave us. Here, here's what's this, this is so ironic. Because those that, that have desired and attempted to obtain eternal life by the way uh, that their works are done are one day going to be condemned by the works that they did. Isn't that interesting? Those that try to obtain eternal life by the things that they do are one day going to be judged by the things that they do and condemned by them. Because they will never be able to do enough. Romans chapter number 3 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9, it says that by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. It's, it's not what we could do. In Titus 3, 5, he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by the good works that we could commit. No, but according to his mercy, he saves us. By the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter number 4 is one of the most powerful verses, I think, when it comes to this matter of thinking that you can obtain salvation by your works. In verse number 4, he says this, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You've heard me say this before, but this is so powerful. To the person that believes they can obtain eternal life by the works that they do, it's looking at God and saying, God, because of what I do, you owe me. And God owes us nothing. 
Now to him that worketh the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Listen, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. What's it say? His faith is counted for righteousness. It's not by our works. See, on on that day of judgment, all those who haven't received Christ will be condemned and cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity based on the works that they have done that will never add up to enough. But friend, understand this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online, listen, God doesn't want anybody to spend eternity there. God God wants every person to accept Christ as their Savior. He wants every person to put their faith and trust in Him. The Bible said there in in verse number 5 of Romans chapter number 4, But him that believeth on Him that justifieth the ungodly. How do I get saved? The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a promise from God. God, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're online this morning, listen, right where you're seated, you can make that decision. You can trust in Him as your Savior. You say, Kyle, how do I do that? Do I have to, do I have to, to, to pay some money? Do I have to sign my name on a roll? That book you were talking about, do I need to get my name in there? Yeah, you need to get your name in there, but you don't write it, okay? Listen, friend, how do you do it? The Bible says that you pray and confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I cannot obtain it on my own. It's not by the works that I can do. And God, I am trusting in you. Will you forgive me for my sins? So God, those exact words, yes. No, it's not, okay? It's not, the, it's not the exact words. Listen, the thief on the cross, you know what? He said he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me. Yeah. Remember me. You know what he was doing? In that moment, he was looking at someone who could do something for him that he could not do for himself. There was no works that he could do to get to heaven. All his works had gotten him to this place and was very quickly, in a matter of moments, going to send him into an eternity in a lake of fire. And yet in that moment, remember me. Jesus looked over at him and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You're going to spend eternity in heaven with me. Friend, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, there's a judgment day that's coming. And that judgment day is the great white throne judgment. And friend, I don't want you to have to be there. And you don't have to be if you accept him as your savior. Well, there's a great white throne judgment for unbelievers. There's a second judgment. There's the judgment seat of Christ. This one is for believers. Those that have trusted in Jesus Christ as their savior. Listen, this judgment seat is a place where those that are saved will be judged by their works. You say, wait a second. I thought you said it's not of works. I did. But listen, listen, it's not of works for salvation. It's by works for reward. <laughs> Understand, okay? The judgment seat of Christ is not for salvation. That's already settled when you accept Christ as your Savior. But listen, why does He leave us on this earth? It's because we're supposed to live for Him. We're supposed to point others to Him. We're supposed to live our lives for His glory. And what happens when we do that? The Bible tells this is incredible. When we do that, the Bible says we're given rewards. That's amazing. The judgment seat of Christ is talked about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The Bible says this in verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's talking about the foundation of salvation. Listen, there's, there's nobody else, okay, that you can base on. It's Jesus. Now, if any man build upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, he, sh- uh, the, the, he, he hath built up thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Well, what, what is that talking about? Okay, it's, it's saying, listen, the, the foundation is like Jesus Christ, and, and we build upon that foundation. Those are the works that we do after we get saved. The living for Christ, the doing things in His name. What, what is that, that that we're doing? That's the acts of service. That's when the, the poor man and the, the rich man walk into the congregation, not looking at them as what can I get from them, but rather how can I show them Christ? All about them. And the Bible says based upon those works, we can receive rewards for the things that we do. And how you build will determine what rewards you receive. Do you know what the Bible says here in verse number 13? For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. This is, this is directly talking about this. Because if you live and speak for the glory of God, one day you will receive a crown. But if you live and you speak for selfish motives... It will be wood, hay, and stubble that will burn up and you will have nothing. Paul talks about these crowns at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Some of my favorite verses. Verse number 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Say faithful. I was living for God. He says, henceforth, because of that, because of my, 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 my actions, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, not to me only. But to all them also that love his appearing. Okay? So he says, listen, there's a day coming based upon the works of my faithfulness for Christ and the things that I did for him. The works following my salvation. He said that I am going to receive a crown of righteousness. This is just one of the crowns that can be received. He said, this is a crown that I'm going to get. But listen, that crown is not for our glory. It's not for us to take one day and put on our head so we walk around in heaven forever and say, do you see the crowns on my head? No, that's not what it is. In Revelation chapter number 4 gives us a glimpse into what we're going to do with those crowns. In Revelation 4 verse 10 he says that the four and twenty elders fell down before him. They sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What a day that will be to stand before the Savior. The one who gave everything for you and for me. And to be able to say, my life I live not for my glory, but for yours. Oh, James is reminding these first century Christians the way that you live, the way that you treat others, the actions of your life, they matter. And one day you will give an account for the things that you do and the things that you say. But listen, friend, there's, there's a misnomer, there's a, there's a confusion. There are some people that say, well, there's no tears in heaven. That's not, you know, that's not true. You know, that's not true. Revelation 21, verse number 4, says it's, that's where God wipes away all tears from their eyes. That's after the new heaven and the new earth come, come tell. Listen, we've spent a little time in heaven by that point. In fact, there, there, there's a lot that's happened before, in heaven before the, the wiping away of tears from our eyes. You know, you know where I believe there's going to be tears? At the judgment seat of Christ. For believers. Listen, there are going to be some that are going to stand before Christ and they are going to. Could you imagine being the apostle Paul standing before Christ on the judgment, judgment seat? Like, 
Like, there's a few people that if I give them the chance, I'd switch places with, right? You know, I mean, like, that, that would be one. I mean, like, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, it's like, whoo, like, wow. Well, listen, there's going to be, there's going to be believers that are going to stand before God, and they're going to, I mean, tears are going to flood their face in joy for what they did for him. God, I had to live for you, and it was worth it. It was worth it. Every ounce of everything I did, God, it was worth it. And there are going to be others that are going to stand before Christ and there's going to be tears. But they're not going to be out of joy. They're going to be out of sorrow. Because everything that they did was for themselves. The rich man walks in the building and they walk over to him. Oh, hey, let, let me, let, do you need anything? Can I take care of you? Can I serve you in any way? But listen, it's not from a heart of I want to lead you to Christ. It's from a heart of what can I get from you? Selfish. You know what happens one day we get to heaven? Man, I got him coffee and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I gave him the best seat and, and, and I did all these things for him. And God's going to say, oh yeah, watch this. And it's going to go into that fire. It's going to burn away and there's nothing that's going to be remain. Wow. What a sad day. Friend, I believe most of us will probably cry one day when we see Jesus. I just, I just think it's the way it is. I mean, you may be sitting in here and you're like, listen, Kyle, I haven't cried. I didn't cry when my baby was born. Listen, I ain't crying, okay? <laughs> it, was, it doesn't matter if you're an emotional person or not. I think one day when we see the one that gave his life for us and we see those nail prints in his hands and yeah. his feet and in his side and we hear his voice speak to us and he says, I love you, I don't think we're going to be able to help it. Yeah. I mean, the toughest cowboy in Montana that's saved, I, I think they're going to look and they're going to break down God. <laughs> You're my Savior. One day when you, when you stand before God and you, the tears flow from your face, I wonder if there'll be tears of, of joy or tears of sorrow. Hope this morning that, that we'll see that, hey, there's a day of judgment coming based upon the works that we do on that day. James here gives a reminder of what is to come. But then he, he does this. He gives a proof of, of real salvation. What? Okay, look with me. Okay, go, go with me there. Verse number 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices or, or, or triumphs against judgment. A proof of, of real salvation. I, I, growing up in, in Indiana and things, I've, I've talked about it often. I mean, playing basketball is I mean, one of my favorite things. I mean, I just I love it. Love playing basketball. I mean, like every kid, whenever they're born in Indiana, they're, they're, you know, they, they wrap them up in a swaddle, they put a hat on their head, and they give them a basketball. It's just, I'm pretty sure that's the way that it works, okay? It's just, I mean, it's just, it's just life. I mean, like you breathe it. Um, I mean, there's, there's basketball. Everybody has a basketball goal. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is for as long as I can remember. I mean, I, I remember when I was, I was just, we were talking about this last week, Tress and I, and I remember we had, we had a little basketball goal that was about this high whenever I was just a little guy that, that we played with outside. And then we had one of the basketball goals that went on the back of, uh, of the door in our, in, a, in our room. And, and I remember uh, there were some fierce battles between my brother and I in that room playing basketball. In there. I mean, it was it was awesome, and uh, I mean, we, I mean, we we broke that thing. So we dunked it on that rim so many times it was covered in duct tape, just trying to keep it up there so we can keep playing on it. I mean, it's just it's just the way of life of basketball. But uh, one one of the things, you, whenever you play basketball, and it's probably the same out here. But when you when you play a game, maybe you're playing one of the, the games of basketball, especially if you're playing a game where it was you against everybody else or something like that. You, you get to the end of the game, and let's say that the game there's a game called 21. If you got to 21 points. 
The game wasn't over. I mean, like, in my mind, in your mind, you would think, okay, if the game was to play to 21, and you got to 21, the game's over. No, that's not how it worked. Because if you reached 21 and you had to hit it right on the money, if you reached 21, somebody would look at you and say, well, prove it. You say, what do you mean? Do you have to go back and say, well, I made this shot here, and I made this shot here, and then I, and then I made this two-pointer. And then, no, no, that, that's not what they meant. And it doesn't mean like stand there and give a case of how you scored 21 points. No, no, what they were saying was, okay, if you want, then you have to go back here and you have to make this shot from back here to prove that, that you're worthy, I guess you could say, uh, of being the winner of the game. I hated it. I think it's done, okay? And you're like, listen, I beat you. I don't need to do that too, okay? But that, that was what we do. Hey, prove it. Prove it. And, and you go back there. And you shoot and you miss, and oh, okay. And then you, you go back a couple points, you have to score again, and then you go back and prove it. It's like, oh, you know, I've already beat you once, I don't want to beat you again. And uh, that, that's what you do. Hey, prove it. You know what James is doing here? He says, listen, let me, let me give you something. He says, this, this thing of mercy, he says it's a, it's a proof. A proof of your salvation. Listen, James points to the key here in verse number 13. That, that is, is the key to, to the first 13 verses of this chapter number two. Without it, the pure religion at the end of chapter number one would, would be impossible. Without it, your loving your neighbor could not happen. He says, listen, this is a proof of your very salvation. What is it? It's, it's mercy. Mercy. Mercy that rejoiceth, that triumphs against judgment. In Matthew chapter number 18, Jesus gives an illustration of a man who had a great debt that he could not afford to pay. The day of payment came, and, and the king says to him, okay, it's time for you to pay what you owe. And he said, I, I don't have a way to pay it. There's no way. If you give me some time, I'll, I'll try to get around to, to, to pay it. And he said, okay, you're gonna, I'm going to sell you, and I'm going to sell your family, and all of your possessions to, to pay for the payment that you owe me. And the, the man calls, falls down, and, and he cries, just give me time. Give, I, I will pay you what I owe, please. Give me a chance. You know what he was asking for? Give me mercy. I, de- I deserve this, but, but please just give me some mercy. Give me some more time. And the Bible says that the king looked at that man and said, not only am I going to give you time, he said, I'm going to forgive you your debt. This debt that you probably never could have paid in your lifetime. I'm going to forgive you of that debt. Oh, what a day. I mean, like, can you imagine? I mean, somebody, it'd be like somebody coming in and being like, hey, listen, you know that house payment you have? You don't have it anymore. I mean, like, there'd be some people. Listen, we're Baptists. I know we're in the Baptists in the Northwest, and, and nobody says boo. But listen, somebody came in here today and listen, and if I stood up here and I pulled an Oprah Winfrey, and I was like, listen, everyone in your houses are paid for, right? Everybody in this room would be like, woohoo! I mean, like, you'd be going crazy. You'd be excited about, I mean, you wouldn't be able to contain the excitement. I mean, it would be so, such, a, such a great moment for everybody. Listen, that, that's what it was. I mean, like, every death that he had, gone. And the Bible says he goes out and he finds a guy that owns, owes him just, I mean, just, I mean, in comparison, it's nothing. Just a little bit. He goes to him, he says, listen, he said, you need to pay me what you owe me. And this, this guy looks at him and says, listen, he says, I don't have it right now, but if you give me some time, I, I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll, I'll give it for you. Just, just give me a little, little bit of time. I just need some, some mercy. And that man that had just been forgiven of his debt looks at him and says, you're going to prison until you can pay me back all that you owe me. 
You know what the Bible says? When the king hears the story of what happened, he calls the man back and he says, listen, he says, how, how could you not give the same mercy? The, I mean, I gave you so much mercy. And the, how could you not show even a little bit of mercy to somebody else that owed you so little? How could you not give that? He said, because you have not shown mercy, he said, I am going to put you in a place where you are going, not only going to be having to pay me back, but he said, listen, it's going to be a time of torment while you do it. Because you refused to show mercy that had been shown to you. Friend, you understand every one of us were condemned to eternity in hell because of our sins. And God, in His great mercy, stretched down His hand to you and sent His Son to die for you and for me to deliver you from punishment. Listen, that you deserved. You deserve the judgment. But listen, he didn't give you the judgment that you deserved. He gave you mercy. Now don't miss where James is going here, okay? When you show mercy to those who don't deserve it, and listen, this is key, mercy is never deserved or earned. If you could earn mercy, if you could deserve it, listen, it wouldn't be Mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve, okay? If you could earn it yourself, it wouldn't be mercy. It's kind of like grace. If you, could, if you could do something to get it, it wouldn't be grace. Listen, he says, if you, if you do this, and listen, if you, if you don't, des- they don't, don't, don't deserve it, listen, you're, you are demonstrating a proof of the mercy that you yourself have received. When you show mercy to someone else that doesn't deserve it, you are showing and demonstrating something that has happened in your own life. Because I have received so great of mercy, when I show it to someone else, I am demonstrating what Christ has done for me. Everyone loves to to quote the first two words of Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 1. James doesn't say here that we shouldn't have judgment. That's not what he's saying. In fact, that, that's what many people say in, in Matthew chapter number seven, verse number one. Those first two words, judge not. That's where everybody likes to go to. They don't, they miss the rest of it. Okay. That ye be not judged for what, ju- what judgment ye judge, uh, ye, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Uh, what does he say? He doesn't say don't judge. That's not what he says. He says, listen, just be careful about how you're judging because however you judge, you're going to be judged. That's what he says. James here isn't saying that we shouldn't have judgment. No, judgment is a discerning act. It is. It's it's recognizing what is right and, and what is wrong. God judged you and I and determined that we are sinners and that we, because of that, deserve punishment. But there's something that triumphs over judgment. And that thing that, that triumphs, the thing that rejoices against, listen, it's mercy. God's mercy. See, the, a true demonstration of God's mercy in your life, don't, don't miss this, okay, because we're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here, okay, is when you know that someone deserves punishment. You've judged and you deemed them worthy of your anger. They deserve it. You've judged and you've deemed that they are worthy of your bitterness. 
They are. They are worthy of your condemnation. They are worthy of your rejection. They deserve what is coming to them. Judgment. And through all that, you decide not to give them what they do deserve. And instead, you give them something they do not deserve. No amount of sorries could earn it. You give them mercy. Listen, friend, I am convinced that demonstrating mercy is the hardest action of the Christian life. The hardest. Because it is recognizing that someone does deserve judgment and choosing not to give them what they do deserve. See, the person that hurt you when you were a child does deserve judgment. The parent that was never there, they they do deserve judgment. The, The person that destroyed your life when you were a teenager or when you were in college or a young person, listen, they deserve judgment. The one who hurt that family member that you love so much, they do deserve judgment. No matter what they could do, they can never make things right. No works. No actions could ever be enough to deserve it. It's in that moment when you choose in your heart to give mercy that you are demonstrating the second greatest commandment. Because the one thing, listen, the one thing that you and I want more than anything, you know what it is? We want mercy for our lives. That's what we want people to show us. That's what we want people to to, to give to us. And what was the crimp commandment, the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. What do I want more than this? Oh, please give me mercy. I need it. I need a lot of it. In my marriage relationship, you know what I need? I need a lot of mercy. You know what I need as a pastor? I need a lot of mercy. You know what I need as a a son? You know what I need as a a brother? You know what I need as a father? I, I need I need lots and lots and lots of mercy. You know what you need? You need mercy. And it's in that moment when we give what is not deserved that mercy rejoices, that triumphs against judgment. Friend, this morning, who doesn't deserve your mercy today? I mean, think about it for a moment. There's, there's, there, there's no doubt. As the Holy Spirit speaks to heart, as he speaks to my heart, listen, uh, listen, he'll bring somebody to your mind. The person that hurt you deeper than anyone else. The person that brought you to that place where you said, I will never go there again. The one that did something to you, that listen, you, you made a decision in your heart a long time ago, I will never forgive them for what they did. Maybe a parent, a spouse, someone from your past. Now you got that person in your mind? Okay, now now just, just for a moment, imagine, imagine what it would take for you to show them mercy and forgive them today. And you're like, if you're like me, mine just blows. <laughs> like that's, I can't, I don't, I can't even imagine doing that. Like, 
Forget, are you kidding me? Forgiving them? Like, <sighs> now take that and multiply it over and over and over and over again and realize that's the mercy that God gave to you. Realize that one day you will stand before God and he will say, if I forgave you all that you did to me, how could you not show that same mercy and forgive them? That's why it's the hardest part of the Christian life. Because it's not based upon what their reaction would be. It's not based upon them coming to me and saying, I'm sorry for what I did. It's a decision that I make between my heart and God and say, God, they don't deserve it. You know they don't. I know they don't. They don't. The judgment is, is, has been passed. They're guilty and they deserve whatever. But I'm choosing, like you, to show them mercy. You can almost hear the voice of Christ on the cross. As he's nailed there, pierced through his hands and through his feet. Mockers down below mocking him. And your sin and my sin placed upon him. And his voice cries out, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You know, we sang a song earlier. And I think we're going to sing it in a few minutes. But... The words mean a little different when we really think about it. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. My sins, they were many. His mercy is more. On that day when you stand before your Savior, may you and I be able to say, God... I chose mercy over judgment. It's undeserved. It's hard. It's impossible in ourselves. But because of what he did for us, we can choose to do the same to others. It's what we want more than anything. Oh, but it's the hardest thing to give out hope this morning that there'll be some victories won in lives as we say, God, I choose mercy over judgment. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. We're going to have a time here at the end of the service where we give an opportunity to respond to the word of God that was preached. We have a time where you're welcome to, to come and pray at an altar, but oftentimes people will just pray in their seats. However you feel the Lord is, is speaking to your heart, but I'd encourage you, would you ask the Lord to help you? This is maybe one of the most challenging subjects that we have ever preached on here in this church. To give mercy to those that deserve judgment. And this morning, if God's brought somebody to your mind, to your heart, like he did me, Maybe you need to take a few moments and just say, God, help me to choose to forgive. Help me to choose to give mercy. Nobody else knows. Nobody else knows what this did to me, what, how this impacted me, how this hurt me. But, but God, I choose mercy. I choose mercy.
With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the music plays, would you respond to the Lord this morning in your hearts? Oh, it's almost impossible to imagine how to give such a thing. But God, so good, gave it to us. When we deserved judgment, he gave us mercy. This morning, in your own heart, you know that what they deserve. You know. But you choose, like Christ, to give mercy. That is a miracle. I hope you'll allow God to work in, in your heart as he's worked in mine as well. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's stand together. Isaac's going to come. He's going to lead this in a couple verses of this song. His mercy.